Welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with registered dietitian, John Kennelis. John, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Kennelis. I am a registered dietitian. Uh, I'm based here in the Bay Area, and I'm so glad to be here with Ross talking about all kinds of nutrition. So looking forward to this. Yeah, great to have you here, John, and great to uh, to hear your story and, and to be collaborating with you. Mm-hmm. So who do you typically work with, John? Like, What's your, you know, your ideal kind of client? And then what would you say is your specialty with regards to nutrition? Gotcha. Well, thanks for that. So since majority of my clients are coming from insurance, a lot of them actually are for either pre-diabetes, diabetes, or weight management or weight loss. So with with majority of my insurance clients, doctors refer them to me like via fax or email, or they'll just call me up, okay, this person needs help. And then a lot of times there are, they're, they need help with their diabetes, pre-diabetes, and uh, just trying to lose weight. I do have a minority of my clients have kidney issues, but I would say about like 80 to 85% of them are between diabetes and uh, weight loss. Yeah, so diabetes is definitely on the rise and, and unfortunately obesity too. So mm-hmm. what can you expect to see? Let's say somebody presents with like pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes. What could someone expect to see, you know, once they get referred to you in the changes they make to their nutrition? Gotcha. So there's different types of diabetics and pre-diabetics for individuals. So for the most part, I would say about um, 80% of the time, 80 to 90% of the time, uh, the solution to people that have diabetes is usually just having to lose weight and eating more balanced meals. That would be number one. Because when you take care of the weight loss, when you take care of the, making sure that they have healthy meals, um, the weight takes care of itself, which in turn uh, manages their diabetes more. So they control their diabetes. Typically, it's easier said than done because if it was easy, then <laughs> there would be no diabetes. But it's actually a lot harder because a lot of times they kind of get into their own head. You know, they kind of talk to themselves out of it. They don't believe in themselves. They may not have enough resources or confidence in themselves. Because a lot of people, they have this um, belief, oh, I don't, I can't pay out of pocket because I can't afford a dietitian or blah, 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 blah. When in fact, uh, majority of the time, insurance will cover nutrition counseling. Like not, probably not forever, but you have like a X amount of session you can talk to a dietitian. Number two, they're just, um, which kind of relates to your question, with number one, like they're kind of confused with nutrition. They don't know what to eat. They don't know what to do. Is this sugar bad? What do you think about this? There's so many confusion. And they don't, then when they, when someone's confused, they kind of just freeze and they don't know what to do, you know? So kind of like when I sit with them, I kind of figure out what they need help the most and what will give them the most uh, momentum forward. For some people, it just they just need a like a support, like just talking to them. For some people, they just literally need like one step at a time, like a kind of hand holding. Whatever that is, Ross, you know, I kind of I try to individualize it for that person wanting to lose weight so they can lose their diabetes. On the flip side of that, Ross, we have I have clients that have pre-diabetes and diabetes that are skinny. Like I'm talking about it's much much slimmer than me you know i'm not i'm not a very big guy but you have we have clients i have clients that are very slim and have really bad diabetes and you know borderline pre-diabetic and diabetic typically ross these clients of mine are asian because asians have a higher tendency to develop type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes because of our physiology and that physiology is because Asians in general, East Asians to be specific, like Indian, Japanese, Filipino, like me, we tend to store uh, above average body fat in our belly. And when that happens, plus, you know, as a, as a population, Asian, Asian Americans tend to carry less muscle mass. So when you have less muscle mass, when you have fat in your belly, that's like a repos- 
strong genetic predisposition that is a recipe for prediabetes and diabetes. So that for that population, I tend to make sure they 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 one they make sure they they have enough muscle, so strength training, or they make sure their meals are fairly balanced to begin with, because most of the time they're not. Yeah, having a regular schedule of eating really makes nutrition easier. So if somebody has diabetes in the family, you know, like type one or type two, yep. from what I gather, it sounds like by having a higher amount of muscle mass, they have a lower risk of maybe developing the diabetes further or having side effects. Is that is that like a reason a person could work with you and train in the gym is to build more muscle mass to manage their diabetes more effectively? Yes. Yeah, so if someone has type two diabetes and you know, they have a family history, often I'll ask them, like, what can you tell me a little bit more about what you do physically? And 99% of the time, they're not physically active. Like they may be quote unquote skinny, but they're not like exercising. They're not running. They're not walking. They're not lifting weights. And that is like one of the things I recommend. You know, if you're not doing that, I ask them, what is this? What is the next step for you? What is like, what can you do to be more physically active? Some people resort to weights. Some people resort to walking. Some people resort to running. Whatever that is, you know, I try to push it, you know, to be more active in general. And then if that person is willing to do more, then I tell them like one of our, you know, mutual clients, you know, you need to start weight training. You need to start doing this because it's more about, what they're willing to do versus what I think is like ideal, which some trainers, especially if you see online, you know, you're supposed to do this, 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 this. When in reality, it's really what the clients are comfortable or what they can do to begin with to reduce their harm, you know, harm reduction is what the, the, the official word that is. For some of my clients, Ross, I just tell them to start moving because if you just sit on your room, you know, 12, 14 hours a day and you're not doing anything and you're skinny, you know, just some type of movement will help. For some, you need to start strength training because you've lost so much muscle and you're older. It's probably help you get from a personal trainer to build a workout program that works for you. So individualize. Yeah, any exercise can have a huge impact, especially if you're not doing a lot. Yes. So yes. an interesting post that you had, John, was why so many people are confused with nutrition and just you were trying to tidy that up. So can you just tell... The listeners a little bit about that post like why is nutrition so confusing you know and then can you just kind of simplify it a little bit in a short answer i know it's a big topic but you know yeah can you help people out yeah yes so why people are so confused with nutrition it's because there's so much voices out there so much opinion so much quote-unquote noise from uh non-nutrition professionals and even nutrition professionals don't understand the the gray area and when a common person like a that, that doesn't have any background to it listen to that, you know, often they get confused. Should I eat sugar? Should I not eat sugar? Should I eat fruit? Should I not eat fruit? Should I go keto? Should I not go keto? Should I fast? Should I not fast? You know, all these things are like so contradicting. Don't eat carbs. Eat carbs. Eat red meat. Be carnivore. You know, eat vegetables. Be on keto. You know, all of these kind of things. The root cause of this is just so much information out there. It's so confusing, you know? So if I was to boil it down to one cause, it's because there's so much information out there that's not regulated. Oh, yeah. So it's a very unregulated industry. Yeah, that that just brings to mind of how even myself, I would have posted about nutrition, trying to keep it simple. And the more I did, the more I realized it is quite tricky. And I, you know, I'm better off leaving it to an expert such as yourself. So, yeah, yeah you definitely do a good job of that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> So another kind of issue in the world is the rising rates of obesity and diabetes mm-hmm. and, you know, losing weight and using trends like fasting. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard someone say that I'm doing keto, but I'm also doing intermittent fasting. I, sw- I swear, you know, it's like a combination. It's, yeah. you know, I hear it too a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your opinion on fasting? Do you ever recommend it for clients and you know, what should people really know from a dietitian about di- about the, the fasting? So for fasting, Ross, I have a couple of thoughts on them. So people has this have this thing that fasting is that the quote unquote the miracle for them to lose weight. When in fact the principle behind fasting is that you're restricting the amount of time you're eating. 
whether the window to fast is eight hours, 10 hours, 12, you're basically restricting it, thus reducing your calories overall. Whether or not it's effective or not effective to losing weight, it really depends on the individual. So for someone that can stick to it, you know, more than five, seven years at a time, that may be good. But based on my experience, Ross, majority of the population, like 95, 98% of the time is not going to stick to fasting because, you know, the people that we work with anywhere from 20 to 40, the only time they fast is when they go to sleep, you know? Other than that, they have snacks, they eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, they have a life on the weekend, their weeknight, they like to go out. It's going to be hard to fast literally for, for, for many, many years on end and then sustain that weight loss. And the key of the, the key for weight loss, the, mo- the hardest part is sustaining the weight loss. You may lose 15, 20 pounds because you did some crazy diet or fast, but the flip side of that is continuing that trend, you know, continuing that weight loss trend. And if you can't sustain it, if you can't uh, sustain whatever thing you did, whether it's fasting or balanced diet or whatever, then you can't sustain the weight loss. And as far as, um, going on a diet, we know this. There's tons of diets out there. I just, just yesterday, I saw someone on a carnivore diet. So this guy literally had no vegetables in his, in his diet. He takes, uh, you know, steak, chicken, I think Celtic salt or, <laughs> you know, all kinds of things, you know, to make sure he's lean. When the evidence suggests that there's a correlation, actually, Ross, the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the more weight you're, the more at a healthy body weight you are, and the more, the less chronic diseases you have, like heart disease, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, the less chance you have developing those. Yet, since we're so bombarded with nutrition, which goes back to our previous question, it's so confusing because people say, oh, carnivore is going to make you healthy. So don't eat carbs from sugar, from fruits, you know, don't do this. So those are my kind of thoughts when it comes to losing weight without fasting. If you can lose weight with fasting and then keep it up, then you do it. But based on my experience, it rarely, rarely works out. You know, maybe, maybe like 5% of the population that have not worked I've not had a client where they can sustain fasting for a very long time. It's just, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I would second that also. Like in my personal experience, it's quite difficult to to maintain. So mm-hmm. a second part of that post was that people can lose weight without actually going on a diet. So can you just go into a bit more detail on that? Because yeah. when I hear people and they start a fat loss phase, it's always, you know, a named type of diet. As you said, carnivore, keto. I'm doing fasting. So how can someone not go on a diet but still lose weight? So to 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 lose weight when on a diet, we have to talk about principles. You know, principles and then after those principles, the most powerful one, Ross, is individual individually uh, to to the person's needs, you know. Someone that is 35 year old that's a parent of two kids versus a 22-year-old that has no very little responsibility to the two different things, which is why we have the principles and then we have we individualize it based on, the, on those people. The principles for losing weight without going on a diet is you need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. You know, we all everything else being equal, when you have when you have when you're in a calorie deficit, plus you eat enough protein for your needs, uh, you're going to lose weight. So I have clients that say, oh, I tried everything. I can't lose weight. It really means that uh, they, they've probably tried different diets, whether it's carnivore, keto, and they haven't lost weight, you know, because they have the principle of, they need to have the principle of calorie deficit. Once that, once you, once you know that you need to eat less than one, than more than what your body needs, then you need to individualize it, you know, when individualizing means that, um, or what works for me may not work for you, Ross. One may not, what works for you may not work for your, another client, you know? So that means if I, if I, um, like four meals versus three meals, I'm going to have four meals versus another client that wants three. If I want grilled chicken and uh, some person wants, uh, you know, grilled beef for whatever reason, then they need to include that because when you individualize the approach based on the person's wants, preference, even timing, uh, that can be a 
good motivator to stick to it because it's all about sticking to it because when someone can't stick to a diet in the long term, they can't lose weight. So if I like the things that I'm doing now, I'm going to stick to it. And if I stick to it, eventually I'm going to lose weight, right? That's one principle. Another principle is increasing the amount of uh, wholesome foods. So plenty of fruits, plenty of vegetables, uh, because fruits and vegetables have a have a stacking effect. They keep you full without uh, having too much calories. They have fiber, they have water, they have nutrients that your body needs. You're not quote-unquote bloated because of all the heavy foods that you have. That's one part, you know. And then another part of, of eating uh, whole, whole foods is eating lean protein, you know, lean chicken breast, ground turkey, lean beef. You know, when you have all these things that are lean, you can have your protein, which helps you, you know, build muscle and keep you full. But it's also not adding calories, you know. Another thing with that one, when it comes to losing weight without going on a diet, is including foods that you enjoy. So for me, I personally like chocolate, you know, brownies, cakes, whatever, but I'm not going to have a whole, a whole bunch of them all at once. So including it in controlled doses really is the key because when you have that, when you're not depriving yourself, when you eat foods that you enjoy and then still have, quote, unquote, some of the treats that you have, you know, it is possible to lose weight without, quote, unquote, going on a diet. So lean protein, plenty of uh, fruits and vegetables, individualizing it to a person's wants and preferences and then making sure you're not deprived by having those treats for whatever you enjoy. Those principles, when done with enough time and consistency, helps you lose weight and keep it off. I, I love the idea of not feeling deprived. I, I feel like a diet or, or fat loss is is just they're almost linked together so fat loss and deprivation go straight together and it doesn't have to be that way like from my most successful fat loss phases i didn't feel deprived but that's that's, key. that's the sticking with it like you said you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah when you stick with it over time you figure out a way yeah that's that's important to stick with it because a lot of people don't stick with it because their methods is not sustainable whether it's keto and carnivore I mean, I have clients that were doing carnivore and they feel so deprived because they can't eat bread, rice, potatoes. I'm like, how can that, like, how can you think this is sustainable, you know? But everyone that has promoting that diet, like if you look at Instagram, they have some kind of financial incentive to promote it. You know, they, 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 they invented this diet. They have a book out because of this. Therefore, if they promote it, they'll probably make, make more money. But the science says otherwise, you know, but sometimes marketing words, are so powerful, like it makes you believe that is the true answer when actually it's not. Just something around expectation, John. So, you know, in a fat loss phase, we're obviously trying to lose body weight, but how much of the time spent in a fat loss phase is actually like maybe maintaining or there, where there's no fat loss? Is that something that you like, you kind of discuss or that you set out to just maybe maintain weight for a period of time? Because, you know, we can't just you know, a fat loss phase isn't linear, right? We don't just drop the weight and it just mm -hmm. goes straight down. So mm -hmm. I know from, from experience. So is, yeah. is kind of maintaining weight something you ever work on? Yes, I actually do. So what I'll do, Ross, is um, I'll, 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 I'll try to track their weight. And if they're plateaued, that is one indicator. And then when I talk to my clients one-to-one, -one, I'll, I'll get a feel of what they're saying. Basically, what I'm looking for is the fatigue of losing weight. Like if they're tired of doing this, tired of doing that, like I'll, I'll, I'll try to figure it out and I'll try to get it out of them. So plateau plus um, indicators that they're tired of, quote unquote, trying to lose weight. I'll tell them, hey, how do you feel about, you know, maintaining your weight just for now until, you know, you kind of until we get going at a later time. So and they'll kind of question me, but I want to lose weight. I want to do this. And I tell them, you know, you know. Not gaining weight is also a form of progress because you're not technically going to where you were before. You know, if anything, you're going to learn how to maintain your weight at this stage of your life or this stage of your journey, kind of like learning how to balance those meals and still maintaining weight. You can always, you know, lose weight at a later time. And I also tell them, Ross, you know, this is not a, a sprint. It's not like you have the deadlines, like a, like a tax deadline. You know, you have, you have, for a very, very long time for the rest of your life to keep this up. 
just because you didn't achieve it by next month doesn't mean that you're a failure. You can pause and then resume at a later time and still be successful. So those are the things I kind of look for. Plateaus, um, fatigue, and then kind of like shifting their mindset that maintenance is an indicator of progress. Yeah, maintenance is huge and you get to practice other skills. And then I think as well, something that I've learned is that when life stress is high, you know, like mm. a lot of work, good one. whatever else is going on in your life, that takes away from your energy to diet. Is that something you see that life stress really gets in the way or can people yes. still lose body fat and be yes. stressed? Yes, I see that too. So I have clients, they'll say to me, oh, when I was younger, I used to lose weight and eat healthy. But now in my 40s, I have kids, you know, I, I try to do the diet that I did when I'm in my 20s, but I, for some reason, I can't do it. And then I kind of respond to them, like, what is your expectations of trying to lose weight? And then they tell me they're going to do the same approach when they were in 20s and they're in their 40s. So I tell them, you know, uh, you're in a different season of your life. You're not 20. You're married. You have two kids. You're working a lot. The goal for me is to do what I can or help you do what you can with what you have. Because even if they were trying to lose weight, but they're not as successful as they think, you know, instead of losing 40 pounds, they only lose 20 pounds. That's still good enough for me, you know, because they're quote unquote, they're in this, they're in a different season of their life. And even that modest reduction of 20 pounds versus poor 40 pounds, that's still a big deal. Plus, if they're more physically active, they're training, they're running, all of that, that's a huge improvement for someone that never did it to begin with. You know, so I'm looking about totality, uh, where the person is in their season of life, and what is the person, uh, where are the, where's the person at when it comes to being able to change or not being able to change? Because I have clients in their 70s. Uh, wanting to change things, you know, but you can't do what you're in your 70s versus in your 20s. That doesn't, the math doesn't add up. So my goal is just to do what they can with what they have, you know, so kind of like my strategy. Yeah, I love that to meet a client where they're at. That's, that's very effective. Mm -hmm. So another quote that you had, John, was on trying to find time to eat a well-balanced meal and, you know, cooking and, you know, people are so busy. So it's like, what do you recommend for your clients? Because, you know, it's one thing to eat healthy, but it's it's also you know, a lot of cooking. It so, is. <laughs> so what's, you know, what's, what's the, the dietitian's recommendation for how to, to, to have those pre-prepared healthy meals? So it, it has that, that one is a good question, Ross, because I get that a lot. How can I eat balanced meals? And I don't have to, to, I don't have time to cook. I'm busy with my work. I have family. So the goal for me is to figure out what resources they have. When I say resources, I'm talking about, you know, three main uh, resources that everyone had money, time, energy. If you're older and you're fairly well off, you can use money as a leverage, meaning if you can buy cooked foods that are pre-cooked, meal prep, have someone cook it for you, whatever that is, you do that. If you're in a season of your life where you're just busy because you have kids or, or you're just busy with working, then you have to have a leverage of being efficient, you know? So what that means, like for me, for example, I may go to Safeway or a grocery store. They have these meals that's kind of prepackaged, uncooked. It already has like salt, pepper, garlic, whatever. And then there's like a vegetable component to it. And there's like a, a, a carb component, like whether it's rice, potatoes. And you just put it in the oven for like 30 minutes. And then you have like a, like one thing I saw in Safeway was, um, Grilled ch a baked chicken breast with asparagus and potatoes. You know, that is a simple meal. You know, um, the key is finding something uh, that will work for you. I know that's a very, very general answer, but it really is true because there's no one straight solution for everyone. Everyone has their different quirks. If you have a lot of time and energy, you may be well off doing quote unquote meal prep. So maybe on a weekend, you prepare all your meals for the next couple of days or so. If you're, if you have kids and you're working full time, you have less time. So you might be, well, you might want to use your money for more efficiency. So that means possibly buying, uh, partially cooked meals or ready to heat up meals. And then some of us supplement that with cooking on your own. 
you know. Another thing that I've done is personally for me to eat more fruits and vegetables, I buy them pre-cut, pre-cut fruits, pre-cut vegetables, and I just pop them in the oven, you know. For my proteins, I try to make it convenient. So for some of my clients, if they can't get enough protein, why don't you just buy, you know, yogurt, string cheese, um, protein shakes to make it convenient for you. So convenience, using what you have, whether it's time, money, and energy as a leverage to make sure it's as easy for you as possible. And then kind of like figuring out on what works best for you, you know, and that takes trial and error because in one season of real life, Ross, you might not have a lot of responsibilities. Eight years from now, you might have a lot of different responsibilities, you know, so it's all about changing and adapting and figuring out what works best for you. And when it comes to my one-to-one, I kind of help my clients figure that out because there's really no one quick approach. The best approach is the one that you'll stick to, which is goes back to our previous question. Exactly. Yeah. The one that's individualized for the person. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, something I've come across is the, the pre-prepared meals. Is there a difference between uncooked pre-prepared meals and cooked? I've, I've seen both options. Gotcha. That's a, that's a good question. So a lot of my clients ask that, should I buy it meal prep where it's already cooked and I heat it in a microwave or should I buy it uncooked and I cook it myself? The answer is, and this is a generic answer, but it depends, you know, it depends on how much money you have. Because like if you go, if you buy the meat, the, the cooked ones and all you got to do is microwave them, they may be a little bit more expensive. So if that works for you, you go ahead and do it, you know. For some people, they don't like reheating food. Some of them don't even like leftovers. I have clients that don't like leftovers at all. They like zero. So every breakfast, lunch, and dinner is different, you know. For some, they like to squeeze their money a little bit. So even if it comes to uncooked or partially cooked, they're okay with that, you know. Like I said, the goal is to meet my clients halfway and figuring out, what will help them most. It's not about being perfect, but having some type of progression towards their health. Because perfect, when it comes to health and nutrition world, it doesn't exist. It probably will never exist. And if they're chasing perfection, I kind of have to talk to them about their mindset. You know, and not a black and white mentality like, you did this wrong, you did this right. No, it's progress. You know, 100%, we may not achieve 100%, but if you're at 30 to 40%, that's good. You know, you don't have to hit 100%. So um, it depends. Some people like cook. Some people like don't like uncook. It depends on your situation. Again, yeah, the individualized approach. Mm-hmm. So stress eating is something I've heard of. I've definitely done it before myself. You know, when I haven't been able to get that preparation done in advance. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what do you say to someone who maybe on a weekly basis, let's just say once a week, they stress eat because maybe their their workload at work, there's layoffs in tech, work is crazy. You know, maybe they have kids or, yeah. you know, whatever else is going on. How do you manage a situation like that? So if they're stressed, I usually ask them what makes them stressful, my, what that makes events stressful. So I'll ask them, hey, what makes you, what, what, can you tell me more about the stress? You know, try to dig deeper because usually there's a root cause with the stress, whether it's family, work, kids, whatever. And then another thing is, what do you usually do when you're stressed? For some people, their default is food because they, it makes them, you know, it makes them feel good, whether whatever their craving is, you know. And then I'll ask them, have you tried anything else? You know, usually good coping skills or good skills to have other than eating is exercise walking, painting, whatever other coping skills that they have, you know, usually talking them through a lot of these changes, or a lot of these options kind of opens up their mind. You know? And when you open up their mind, it's a, it's a gradual progress to removing stress eating. Like it's, it's not like first session, you're stress eating, second session it disappears magically. You know, it, 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 I wish I could be good like that, but it doesn't work like that, you know? So my goal is to create awareness. And once we create awareness, figuring out what works for them. You know, for some people, I have my clients, they were stress eating and they said, oh, what makes you, what other things can you do to relieve stress? For one of my uh, clients, they enjoy walking. For some, they took a singing class, you know. For some, 
they like to play video games, you know? So um, for, for, for clients in general that are stress, stress eating, finding out what the root cause is, figuring out what they're able to do with that, with that stress response, and then making sure that they're kind of talked to and reminded of, you know, and then asking them what, um, what, what makes it successful for you to not eat when it comes to stress. So in other words, they have their skills or they have skill sets, they have tools in their mind and themselves, figuring out what those tools are, figuring out what, um, what skills they have and using it to their advantage because everyone approaches stress differently and everyone has a different type of response. And then, you know, getting rid of that stress eating takes a lot of mental work. You can't just force yourself to not stress eat, you know, just like that. It, it doesn't happen like that. So just gradually getting out and talking a lot about it. Because sometimes I feel like I'm a therapist too. <laughs> so kind of like talking them through it. Yeah, it's definitely got an element of a therapeutic yeah. connection there. Yeah. So w- what about more specifically people who, let's say, you know, they can be on a routine, three meals a day, Monday to Friday. And then the weekend is like, you know, I treat myself, I relax, or they go through a cycle where they can't stay on track Monday to Friday. And just, you know, the social events or the sleep goes a bit haywire. They find the weekends particularly tricky. And that's when the stress kicks in. Do you have clients like this? Have you experienced with this? Yes, I do. Yes. So for my clients that are like this, usually it boils down to mindset. Mindset. When I when I say mindset, I'm talking about you know. Well, I deserve to treat myself. I deserve to do this because I've been good this whole, whole Monday to Friday. Um, this is my time to let loose. So I've had a stressful day. You know, so it's getting the root cause of their mindset and then shifting the way they think. You know, like it doesn't have to be a black and white mentality. It doesn't mean that. You don't have to be quote unquote good Monday to Friday and then just go to a buffet Saturday, Sunday. It doesn't have to be like that, which comes into the root cause of their mindset. You know, I'm telling them like, why, like I'm asking, like, does it have to be like you're eating all kinds of food, these types of food Saturday, Sunday? Could you just disperse it in moderate amounts throughout the week? Most of the time, they don't think like that, you know, because again, in our first question, why are so many so confused? We have these um, concepts of cheat days, cheat meals, you know. This is my cheat day, so I can eat whatever I want. I've been doing good. When in reality, nutrition is rarely black and white. It, it will never be black and white, you know, which um, I try to remind my, my clients about the diet culture, about having not, not having black and white mentality when it comes to nutrition, not labeling food as good and bad, but a spectrum. There are foods that you should eat more, and certainly there are foods you should eat less. But I never have advocated, never eat this or always eat this. The only time I advocate that is if they're allergic to something. That is it. But other than that, you know, if if they're, they're, if they're eating crappy on the weekends, addressing the mindset and then figuring out what we can do and why they're ha- they're doing it and shifting their mindset a little bit. Yeah, the mindset is key. That's really what sets us up for mm-hmm. you know Definitely. an effective uh, nutrition plan or not. Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of answered it already, but I just want to go into a bit more detail on good and bad foods. Yeah. So black and white thinking, right? So I hear people say, you know, oh, I ate bad or I ate good. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really explain much or mm-hmm. there's so much more to what happened, you know, or a certain food. Yeah, good or bad, you know. So, can you just go into that in a little bit more detail and explain like your your take on that. So, with the black and and the black and white mentality when it comes to food, really comes back to our very the question. The first question you you asked me about, you know, why are people so damn confused about nutrition? That's because there's so much noise out there. They say, oh, don't eat fruit because it has sugar. Oh, only eat red meat because that's good for you. It doesn't spike up your blood sugar. Oh, keto's uh, good for you, but don't eat fruit. Oh, only eat this vegan because vegans are healthy for you. They're all vegetables. All these, all these noises, it labels good, good food and bad food to the point that a person's so confused on what to eat, 
they just don't eat. They just eat. They're just so confused, you know. I make a joke about it sometimes, like, hey, everything's bad. Why don't just do photosynthesis and just eat eat food through that way, you know, because it's like you're so confused. When it comes to black and white, it is kind of like a human nature to separate good and bad for faster decisions. But the truth is, just like most things in life, it's never it's hardly black and white, you know. When it comes to um, eating on the weekends, it doesn't have to be like that. When it comes to there, the most important thing is kind of like individualizing it and then figuring out what works for you. Very good. Yeah, kind of that same point again. Make it individual. Figure out what works for yes, the person. Yes. Yeah. So an interesting post that you had, John, was on diet culture in men. And as yeah. a trainer, you know, obviously I'm on the gym floor. I see this a lot, yeah. but I never really considered it a whole lot until I saw your post. So will you just talk a little bit about it? You know, what people should be aware of, or maybe things people are already doing that they just haven't thought about. Yeah. So I have noticed this, um, and, uh, the people I work out with, some of my, um, fitness minded individuals, because really no one is immune to this. Even dietitians, you know, I kind of catch myself, you know, oh crap. I, why am I thinking like that? You know? Everyone is like not immune to it. So it's important to be aware. So by definition, when I say a diet culture, it's that culture of focusing on weight, you know, focusing on physical appearance, focusing on, you know, um, physical appearance and like aesthetics, you know, and then like the, the relationship with food. I can't eat this. I'm on a diet. I have to eat all of this because I'm bulking. Um, I have to drink this two hours after my workout. I have to. I can't go out with you because I'm 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 meal prepping. I have to bring my food because I'm meal prepping. You know all those similar things, and then for some individuals that have this culture in them, it can be really harmful, especially if they have a history of a ten- or a tendency to have mental illness. Like if someone's unhealthily obsessed with bodybuilding or fitness, that becomes unhealthy. You know. Uh, um, when, when it comes to men, you know, obsessing over, uh, could be meal prepping, obsessing over, um, not eating cheat meals, uh, refusing to have a social life with your family, friends, and partner because you're, you're being, like you're doing your, your thing is probably not healthy because by definition, um, extremes, whether you're losing weight, gaining weight, any extreme is not going to be healthy for someone's physical health or mental health. And that's what I mean by diet culture. You know, when, it, when men look at their bodies and it's not muscular enough, when it's not um, physique, you know, aesthetic enough, they kind of create some kind of body dysmorphia. You know, I'm not muscular enough. I'm not, you know, but if you think about it, you know, there's really the perfection they're, they're, they're chasing it probably once they get there or if they get there, it probably will not make them happy because there's always something to chase for, you know? And typically the view for body image in men is different. You know, they want to be bulky, muscular, ripped, when in reality, it's very, very difficult to get there and most importantly to maintain, you know? So all those things kind of like makes me kind of catch myself. Hey, this is kind of like, you know, unhealthy obsession when it comes to um you know for for men and i have to kind of think about that be unaware be aware because a lot of people are focused on that especially men and i don't i don't i don't want to advocate that absolutely yeah i definitely have experienced that myself where i think i overvalued you know my appearance and, and didn't consider how i felt while trying to pursue these goals you know in the culture and i yes, definitely yes. yes because if you think about it ross you're in Instagram and I'm in Instagram. Unfortunately. Guess, guess who gets the most clicks? It's not the ones that are slim and smiling, even for for women. It's not the one that's talking about education. It's usually the ones that have really, really nice physique or women. It's really it's usually the same thing, you know? Sex sells, good physique sells. That's just how our nature is. And eventually when, 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 when that couple with a diet culture, you know, that creates a really interesting dynamic where people are obsessed with their physique and nothing else. And it, it can create, uh, unhealthy obsession. And when it's extreme like that, that 
is the definition of unhealthy and you kind of have to question yourself you know so it's kind of the things i see in in social media oh yeah definitely and i've experienced it as well where yeah i think i was my most isolated and probably i don't know you know there's different times where you're unhappy but i definitely wasn't happy when i was my leanest i was putting the most work into my nutrition the most work into my training but socializing you know i wasn't doing a whole lot yeah and uh Sure, I felt I, in my head, I was like, I look great, so I should feel great, but I feel low on energy, low libido, you know, sleep is, you know, not great. And my quality of life definitely on the outside, it might have looked, I might have looked healthy, maybe, um, but on the inside, definitely wasn't. So, you know, is there, is there a healthy way to pursue a physique goal or, you know, how could you go about pursuing a physique goal through nutrition in a healthy way instead of getting caught up in that culture? Uh, I think the first step, Ross, is just being aware of how caught up or not caught up you are. I know this is a tricky subject because when, like you mentioned, when you were in that, if someone, like, let me ask you, if someone told you it was unhealthy, would you believe them? I would have said, look, I'm doing my own plan. I don't need your advice. <laughs> right. John, I respect right? you, but thanks. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people perceive it, too, because yeah. it's hard to tell someone that, that extreme is unhealthy. So just having that self-awareness is really important, number one. And pursuing something is really about moderation. And I know that's a very broad topic. When I say moderation, I mean it doesn't inter it 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 has a it doesn't impact other areas of life to the point that it's it's like reducing your quality of life. Like you could have a six back, but what if you're you're not spending time with your loved ones or family or members. Is that really is that really healthy that you're aiming for? Is that healthy? For some people, they'll say yes because they'll say, "Oh, because I have a goal. I have a goal. I have to achieve it." And if you're going to the gym four or five hours a day, and you'll and they'll say it because I have a goal. Four or five hours, five six days, five six days a week at the, at the gym. It's not something that is healthy, especially if you work full time, you know, especially if you have responsibility. So it's really the balance or the sustainable is really uh, creating an awareness. That would be number one to kind of like auditing yourself. Like what is, what, am I, am I happy? You know, for some people, they can kind of trick themselves. Like, am I really happy? You know, like in the moment, you could probably think you are but you're miserable on the outside <laughs> like you're not you're hungry you're fatigued oh crap i might i might look good in the mirror but um why am i always why is my why am i always thinking about food i'm always food central you know because you're so damn hungry you you're like you have low body fat you look great but i might like my, i'm always thinking about my next meal and that's not healthy you're obsessing about something all the time you know i think creating an awareness is a huge huge deal and definitely checking yourself when it comes to to your nutrition and your working out to see if it's quote unquote moderate. So, so something really good points there, John. Something that we are kind of touching on is uh, mental health in relation relation to nutrition, and then eating disorders a little bit. Yeah. So, can you talk just a little bit about your experience about like how does nutrition affect your mental health, and then right. how common are eating disorders? You know, in men as well, I think you know. So for the eating disorders, I'll talk about that first. It's more common in women than I thought it would be. You know, like I I initially thought that eating disorders were for young women. Eating eating disorders, like a diagnosis from a psychiatrist and disordered eating. I thought that was just mainly young women. And after getting enough experience and working in a eating disorder facility, um, I was wrong because eating disorders can be or disordered eating can affect really all age groups. Like I have clients in their sixties that I think is like I'm not a I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose it, but um, they definitely have signs of eating disorders or disordered eating. They bring their meals toward from to their family get-togethers. They refuse to eat when they're going out to eat. They get anxiety when they don't know what kind of calories they're going to eat. They obsess about having X amount of workout, X amount of day. 
to the point that it gives them anxiety. They refuse to go out. And these are women, Ross, that are in their 50s and 60s. These are not young women. And that is harmful for their for their mental health because they're focusing. It's like they're not in control of their food. The food controls them. You know, they flip it around. And that's just an unhealthy relationship. And when I see that, I always ask them, hey, are you talking to a therapist? Are you doing something with this? Because I tell them, this is, I can only help you so much. You need another professional to help you. And most of the time, they don't have that help. They don't seek out help. They think it's normal, which is another frustrating problem that I have. Because if you if they want to get better, if they want to lose weight or get better, they have to have these different types of help, like personal training, nutrition, therapist. But in my experience, very, very rarely people get help from all those three type of people, which makes it uh, makes it difficult to to help them fully. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like the the thing for eating disorders. Yeah. So I see. It feels like a a big part of working with someone like yourself, a, a nutrition professional, is being honest. Yeah. Would yeah. You agree? Yes, yes, because I kind of have to tell them in a very kind way that, you know, how how do you view your relationship and just just the way they describe their their food, their meal patterns, their decision making, it gives me a hint of of where they are mentally when it comes to food, nutrition, and fitness. You know, they'll they'll, they'll talk about. I'll, I'll get a good idea and then I'll, I'll ask them, hey, have you worked with any other professional like trainers, therapists, this and this? And they'll usually divulge information. Oh, I've worked with cleaners. Oh, in the past, I used to work with therapists, but not just, but not for food. You know, they'll say all those things. And being honest is usually something that I want to do. I want to do it in a compassionate way because it's, it's about kind of giving them help and kind of telling them, Hey, this is, I'm, 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 I'm giving you help. I think this is what, what you need. I can only help you so much, but this is the, the thing that will complement it. Some people will take your advice. Some people will not take your advice. It's just the reality of it. And sometimes they'll they'll continue with your session. Sometimes they'll stop it. <laughs> I mean, you know. So that's kind of like how my how I see when it comes to telling the truth. You can you can tell them. You decide what to do with it. If not, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes. Yeah, people have to make their own decision for sure. I see that exactly. a lot too. Yeah. So let's say someone is overly focused on nutrition, on their food, or maybe they want to just have a better relationship with food. What could they notice that would be a difference? Like what could they, you know, they're like apprehensive about putting the work in or working with someone like you, you know, a registered dietitian. What would the difference be if they had like a successful outcome after a couple of months, you know, three to six months? So when it comes to expectations, one of the things I tell my clients, Ross, is when it comes to changing behaviors, changing nutrition, changing lifestyle, I always give them the expectation of what I think what they will need. So what that means, I'll tell them, you know, when it comes to your nutrition, this is going to be a struggle for you. I'm very upfront with them. And I tell them that it's a struggle because so that way they know to expect struggle. Because when you expect struggle versus from what they see in the marketing and social media, everything's going to be perfect. When in reality, it's not. It sets them up for uh, having realistic expectations. And then I also tell them upfront, hey, based on my most successful clients, this is how long it's going to take. Typically, behavior change is what needs to happen before they start losing weight. And I give them a range. So for someone that needs to lose 60 pounds, I give them a range of maybe like 14 to 18 months. And I tell them, hey, in your journey, you're going to struggle. Every day, there are going to be days where you don't show up. You know, I set them the expectations so that way they don't get discouraged when it does get hard. And I tell them, when you get, when you don't feel like showing up, when you feel discouraged, it's even more important for you to show up because all those things added up, whether it's 10% effort, 90%, 50%, over the course of 14 to 18 months, all those wins will stack up. You know, I told them we need to fix the behavior first and then the weight usually follows. 
by having those expectations, by telling them expectations, it sets them up for realistic expectations. And it sets you up uh, from like a financial standpoint, like, hey, this is how long you need to work uh, with me in order to achieve the goals. You know, you don't have to exactly work with me, but as long as you know the expectations, this is what's going to happen, you know? So giving them expectations and telling them that it's okay to struggle, people that are doing best are struggling and that is completely normal. Normalizing struggle, normalizing challenges, normally normalizing maintenance or not gaining weight or losing weight, normalizing all of those, it's like usually what the clients like to hear because they're this whole time they've been bombarded with perfection. When when I tell them, they're kind of like shocked because like, oh, why am I, this dietitian is telling me it's going to take a while. You know, it's something they don't hear often, but something that they should. Yeah, like it's going to be challenging either way. So <laughs> you could be stressed about food and, you know, not buying into a new approach, a, mm -hmm. a more effective approach, or mm -hmm. you could commit to a long-term, you know, 14 to 18 month process and tackle the challenges head on. But at it's, least it's kind of on your own terms in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell them the expectations so that way they're not disappointed uh, four weeks from now. The, hey, why why am I not losing 10 pounds? I only lose two pounds, you know? I mean, and two pounds is better than zero pounds, you know? But they don't see that because, again, the black and white approach, you know? So I have to retraining someone's mind, mindset, and behavior takes a while. That's why I feel like sometimes I'm a therapist. No, it does change does definitely take time. And I love that approach with the expectations. So just touching on expectations, we're kind of talking a little bit about social media. So, mm -hmm. you know, what do you think of social media, nutrition, how it affects your client's mindset? And do you have any recommendations for clients with regards to social media? Yeah, turn it off. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only subscribe to John. <laughs> yeah. So for social media, there's so much noise out there, you know. I have a handful that I recommend when it comes to like scientific accurate information. But beyond that, I always tell them to um, look at it with a critical eye. Look at it with kind of like be skeptical. You know, like if someone tells you carnivore diet is really the way, is it really the way? Because you can't eat your desserts. You can't eat your your bread, pasta, vegetables. Is it really sustainable? Like you have to kind of ask yourself, not just be accepting of that, you know? And social media kind of feeds you what you want to see. So if you click on uh, whatever you want to click on, whether it's more physique, men or women or whatever, the more it's going to give you and the more it's going to feed whatever you're looking for. Whether you want to be happy and you pick, click on happy things, whether you click on sad things, you click on sad things or physique or Alan Aragon, whatever, the more you click on that, it's like a chamber, like it's just a self-feeding chamber, you know? So I would say be aware of that because I have clients like that. They don't know, they're in social media, but they don't know what to do. Like they don't, there's so much information out there. And I always, you know, I always reference, I think in your, in your, in your document, Alan Aragon, that's the one I always refer to for a nutrition expert. Um, Lane Norton is one of them too, that I, that I frequently cite, you know, but beyond that, there's only a couple of people but other than that, you know, if they're if they have very big following, like 40, 50, 100,000, and then it kind of looks shady or kind of like something not right, I would tell them to always question it. I tell them, even me, if you think something's not right, I want you to ask me so I can explain myself. If I can't explain it, then I'm probably not telling you the right way. So, Yeah, I like those two. Yeah, Alan Aragon's great and Lane Norton also as well. So completely switching it up, something more current a new sort of thing that's on the market is medication mm -hmm. for like weight control weight management and you have a post about uh semagnitude like ov ozempic yep are these miracle drugs for weight loss and then have you also heard of the one uh Mogerno as well yeah so these are are they're originally meant for diabetics and they're supposed to help you lower your blood sugar and um as a consequence, then your diabetes is, is, is more controlled. On the flip side of that, it also, like the semaglutide, the Zempic, the Govi, um, they've also been approved for weight loss. Typically, the people that use them do lose weight. 
you know. And I always tell my clients that take these, you know, you still have to work on your habits. You still have to work on your behaviors. You still have to watch what you eat. Like there's no quote unquote, if you were to ask me as a miracle drug, it helps you lose weight. Miracle, that's a, that's a very strong word. <laughs> you know, like, like it helps you lose weight. It helps you lose weight because it controls your appetite. Basically what it does, Ross, is like if you eat something, it tells your it tells your stomach that the food stays there longer, and when your stomach stays full longer, guess what? You can't eat as you can't eat as much, and when you like when you digest slower, when you get full faster, you don't eat as often and you don't eat as heavy. So the side effect of that is weight loss. Typically, people do most of the time. People lose weight, but they also lose appetite. So it's a miracle if you want to call it a miracle, as a sense that it does help you lose weight. But on the flip side of that, you still have to work on eating healthy, exercising. You know, like like I like the one I, I I saw Lane Norton post this. There is no shortcut. There's like there's no hack that you can take, you can buy. Like there's no hack that you're looking for. There's always going to be trade-offs in life. If you take this drug, guess what? You at later time in the in your in your life. You still have to work on your habits. You still have to eat healthy. You can't just take the pill and lose like 90% of your weight. Like it doesn't work like that, you know? And as far as the future, um, it's, it's debatable, you know? You know, people help you lose weight. It does help lose weight, but is it's, it's, it's not something that you could take forever. For some people, for some doctors, they give it to doc, to patients and they get a low dose of that medication. And as far as risk, drawbacks, and side effects, most of the time when people lose a lot of weight, Ross, uh, loose skin is one of them. Um, dehydration, because you're so full, you don't want to eat or, and you don't want to drink. So dehydration is definitely one of them. Um, or, or weight loss, when you lose a lot of weight and you don't eat a lot, hair loss or your very thin hair, you know, that could be something that you're looking for, you know. I saw in the trials that a, a very, very rare effect is a cancer. So I'm certain that's certainly not, you know, it's a very rare, but it does happen. So most common is rapid weight loss, loose skin, and dehydration for most people. So they're not without their side effects. That's what you're saying. They're, they're not really a miracle. They're not a miracle. There's always going to be something because you're trading off quickness of weight loss versus this pill. And, you know, most common effects that I've seen for my clients is you're not eating as much dehydration, and then when they lose weight very fast, is loose skin. Interesting. So, more to be revealed on that one. We'll see. You know, can they be made more uh, safe and efficacious? Mm-hmm. That's the only time will tell how how this drug will handle ten, fifteen years from now. Interesting. So, just to bring it back to you know what you're talking about in in healthy eating already. Yep. Fruit. Fruit is like so debated. You know, for me personally, I think fruit, you know, healthy, tasty, full of, of nutrients. But for some reason, there's like a stigma or people are confused about fruit. Should I not eat fruit? Um, what is your opinion? And, you know, for me, I would use it as, a, as an effective pre-workout fruit. You know, but, you know, what do you think? I mean, I would I would agree too. I use it. <laughs> fruit has been demonized because it has sugar, you know, and sugar says, you know, if you go to keto camp or carnivore camp, yeah, don't eat sugar. It'll spike this and that. And when you spike that, it's bad for your health. It shortens your lifespan when actually it's quite the opposite. When you eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, almost always your weight is controlled. And when your weight is controlled and plus all the nutrients that come with fruits and vegetables, guess what happens? You, you either lose weight or you maintain a healthy weight. You know, you'll never hear an individual say, Hey, I got fat because I ate a lot of food. You know, you'll 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 never hear that. Oh, I got fat because I ate too much broccoli. It's it's usually it, it never it, I've never heard it in my life, and I've counseled hundreds of patients. You know, so part of the reason for the blame for fruit is because you know we got this keto camp, carnivore camp. Every a lot of these diets that say that fruits are bad for you, when in fact it has so much benefits for you. It, it only makes sense for you to eat fruit but again since we have social media marketing we have marketing that makes it so sexy to not eat fruit 
it confuses people. It confuses people to the point that they're, they're scared of fruits. So blame it again on the tricky marketing. And what about, let's say, someone who's a diabetic, you know, type 1 or type 2? Even in that instance, should someone be mindful of their fruit? So when it comes to diabetic, one thing that I would advocate if they're eating fruits or foods that have high carbohydrates is to pair it up with some type of protein uh, to make sure that it doesn't spike up their blood sugar as much. Pro- uh, protein or fiber blunts the effect of the sugars and in, in, in fruit. So having paired that up is something that is I recommend. I don't I never tell my clients to not eat fruits, but I do tell them if you do eat fruit, make sure you pair it up with some type of protein, low fat or non-fat cheese, protein shake, lean protein, you know, protein shake, any of those would be helpful. So that way they get their fruit, but at the same time they manage their blood sugars much better. And that's also making it a more balanced meal as well. So Exactly. Yeah. So you have your fruit component, you have your protein component, and then if you want, you can have your vegetable component there. Well, so it's a more balanced meal, which, you know, for, for diabetics, it's something that they need in the long run. Very good. And just the third macronutrient we haven't talked about is fat. So mm-hmm. for someone looking to add in more fat to their diet, what are some options other than avocado? It seems like it's just promoted, you know, so much and... It's yeah. overhyped. So yeah. yeah, outside of avocado, what are healthy fats? So there's two two parts to this question. So uh, by science and research, olive oil has demonstrated uh, the most positive benefits when it comes to healthy fats. You know, uh, with that being said, you also have to keep in mind the amount of calories you're consuming. So if I was to say, well, olive oil is good. Okay, well, it, it doesn't mean for you to deep fry your eggs or your hot dog or your bacon in olive oil. It just means that in moderation, when all things are being equal, olive oil is going to be better than corn oil. But if you eat a crap load of olive oil and it makes you gain weight to the point that it's unhealthy, then it's not good, right? So you can have corn oil vegetable oil, canola oil, but if your calories are counted for and everything else is a balanced diet, like eating fruits, vegetables, lean protein, there's no need to nitpick which which one you have, olive oil or corn oil, because the most important thing is the overall composition of your diet. So I hope that explained things. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's kind of like that. Uh, you talked a little bit about portions before. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, John. And then just one more from a client on pre-workout nutrition. Do you have any kind of go-to meals, recommendations for someone? They're going to hit the gym. They're going to do a run. Gotcha. So for the pre-workout, there's a couple of things too. So for pre-workout nutrition, I ask them, do you eat regular balanced meal? Like do you eat at least three to four meals a day? Because if they're skipping meals, then the pre-workout meal would be more important. So if they're eating balanced meals like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they just happen to time their workout in between breakfast and lunch, they may not need a pre-workout, assuming they ate enough for breakfast. Now, if you skip breakfast and then you're going to work out, I usually advocate anywhere between 300 to 500, 500 total calories for, for your workout, spread between one to two hours. I only say these these range because I've had clients where they get really nauseated when it comes to eating a lot of food. And I have clients where for some reason they have to eat something substantial, which is more calories before they work out. So the answer is individuality and how the person responds or how they feel about it, you know? So in essence, if you're eating three balanced meals and you time it before, uh, breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner, you may not need a work a pre-workout meal. If you're skipping meals, then it becomes more important to have a like a small meal or a small snack. Personally for me, I have at least three meals and a snack. I don't really do pre-workout meals. As long as my meals are covered, it's balanced protein, carbs, fats, veggies for all meals. I'm that's has worked for me. But if I notice that I'm skipping meals, 
I might be more intentional in eating a small meal before I work out, like one to two hours before I work out. Got it. Yeah. But in, in my experience, if I work out fasted, that actually limits my performance, even though I can get to work out faster. Yeah. And uh, working out midday, you know, let's just say, for example, 12 to 6 p.m., mm-hmm. I'll try and have at least one meal. I find that very effective and something yeah. that I enjoy, like you said, you know, sustainable and uh, that, that fills me up. You know, nothing, not, not too big a meal, just a regular size meal that, that works for me. It, bring, it, it comes down to individuality and a person's preferences, because like you said, for you, um, if you if you do it later, you may have to skip it to have a meal. Uh, for others, they can do it a little bit uh, less. So it really is individualized. And some people look for that magical formula, you know, magical pill. In essence, the magical pill, the magical formula, there's one. You just have to look in the mirror. When you see a reflection, that's you. You're the magic formula <laughs> to all your answers, right? Figure out, yeah, what individually works for yourself and personally. And then if you can't figure it out, you know, we have you, we have dietitians to help you figure that out because that is what we're here for. You know, one thing that I noticed for some people, Ross, is, you know, they spend their wheel, they're spinning their wheels trying to figure things out. Days, months, years come by, they still haven't figured it out when they could have just saved that all that time and hiring someone that, that knows what they're doing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's not working on your own, definitely look to get help exactly so, so john that's uh all we have for now that's been brilliant do you have any final message that you want to leave people with or links or anything you want to point people to yes uh if if you're interested in uh getting help with your nutrition or want some uh a little bit of knowledge you can visit my website www.johncanlessrd.com my link to my instagram there if you wanted to do some want to take a look at my social media um if you want to work with your nutrition, I do accept most insurances. So feel free to message me and I'd be happy to see if I can help you. Brilliant, John. Thanks very much and keep up the good work. Thank you, Ross. Good talking to you.